This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And you're listening to the prologue on America's Web Radio. This is a weekly program bringing you introductions to writers and books that you may not be familiar with. Now, my name's Doug Dahlgren. I'm going to be your host for this hour. I'm an author myself. You can find my work at Amazon, also at Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, all the online sites. And you can go to my personal website, www.dougdahlgren.com. All the information you want to know about me and the books should be there for you. I hope you'll visit it later. Now, we call this program The Prologue because that's what it is. It's an introduction. And while those introductions are mainly to writers, we love to bring you interesting people with just a good story to tell from other fields and other endeavors as well. So what that means is we want to hear from you, okay? Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you have a pen or a pencil nearby? Do you have something to write on? It wouldn't hurt to have those close at hand because, as you see, there's going to be information that we hand out or speak about throughout this program that you're going to want to make a note of, like this, for instance. If you or someone you know has that book or that interesting story that needs to be told, please reach out to me through email, and there's two ways to do that, doug at americaswebradio.com or doug at dougdahlgren.com. Send me a note. Tell me who you are or who your friend is. I'd love to speak to them or you about being on a future program. So please email me today. And we'd also love to hear from you listeners just about the program. What do you think of the show? Uh, you like what we're doing? You enjoying the guest? Just to get a little feedback from you guys would be nice as well. So use those same email addresses. Our guest today is a returning guest to the prologue, and he brings his second book in his terrific series, The Beyond Saga. It's set nearly 20 years after book one, and author Greg Spry takes the reader into the future with all the technology and changes that that permits. But there still seems to be other things like politics and human nature that seem to stay the same. The novel is Beyond the Horizon, and this is your prologue. The student is now in sight of her goal, to travel beyond the solar system. Her aunt, our heroine from book one, is now a flight instructor and somewhat estranged from Maya following a disagreement over grades. The interstellar starship, the New Horizons, is set to travel 20 light years into a solar system needing their help. But not everything goes as planned. Beyond the Horizon becomes a story of sabotage, survival, and basically getting back home. The author, Greg Spry, is with us from his home in Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the prologue, Greg. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, having me back, Doug. Well, we're delighted to have you here. We had a great time last last time around with the first book, which was Beyond Cloud Nine, and we are here now to uh, talk about the second. There's there's a lot happening in this exciting new book, uh, but you know, would you take just a second for the audience and recap book one real quick for us? That was called Beyond Cloud Nine. Yes, no problem. So yeah, so in the first book, uh, Beyond Cloud Nine, uh, it uh, stars um, a fighter pilot who's actually the first, uh, her, her dream is to fly faster than light, and so that's, uh, she works towards that goal, and a lot of things come up, get in the way, including a uh, conspiracy 
to um, sort of, uh, you know, manipulate society towards a certain end goal. And then there's uh, also an alien invasion that isn't quite what it seems. And so that's basically the, uh, the, the, uh, yes, the summary. <laughs> okay. Now, we have uh, traveled several years into the future. By my count, it's almost 20. Uh, what all has happened? Yeah, a lot of things have happened. So at the end of uh, book one, um, things kind of go where the, the alien invasion happens and um, humankind kind of bands together um, in order to triumph against that. Actually, on the, on the surface level, that's, it's very, uh, you know, um, typical, you know, seeing it, seeing that, uh, been there, done that before. Um, but, but underneath, it's kind of everything isn't quite what it seems. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so humankind is ban- banded together, and now they're really working towards uh, that goal of uh, reaching out towards the stars. And uh, we've got the first uh, interstellar uh, mission coming out. And then uh, the book, uh, Beyond the Horizon, uh, becomes about uh, <clears throat> Maya, whose who's book's um, niece, about her... Um, you know, shipping out there and coming up against uh, a bunch of op- obstacles like sabotage of the ship and uh, those sorts of things. Now, Brooke, as you mentioned uh, in your recap, Brooke is the heroine of, of book one, and Brooke had the desire to, to be the first, uh, what, to travel in, in light speed. She wanted to travel at light speed, and she was able to reach that goal. And she was taking care of her niece, Maya, who now, 20 years later, of course, has, has grown up and become a pilot herself. Uh, and the unfortunate thing, I think we mentioned that there was a little bit going on between them. Uh, she uh, she was in class with her aunt. Is that correct? And, of course, that usually doesn't go too well. Yeah, exactly right. One uh, family member, the aunt, having to uh, teach and instruct the other one. And, of course, there's that, that whole clash of uh, <clears throat> you know professionalism versus you know, family and, and, and favoritism, of course. What happens is that Maya, you know, she she's the kind of the character, you know, kind of young, optimistic, kind of in contrast to her aunt. And she, uh, you know, she, she is really eager to please and uh, out to prove that, uh, you know, she can be good enough. And she's looked up to her aunt, who's this, you know, great historical figure, I mean, first person to fly faster than light. But then Maya finds that she can't actually cut it um, in a cockpit, so much so that her aunt actually gives her a C, you know, a very average grade in the class. And, of course, Maya is very studious, and just to her, a C is like enough. So um, she's not too happy about that, so that kind of brings up a little bit of uh, conflict and something that gets in her way. And then the, the rest of the book <clears throat> becomes um, kind of about Maya having to come to terms with that and then finding her own way. And uh, we find that maybe uh, because of that, uh, maybe she's destined for even bigger things. Well, now, she also had a goal. I mean, her aunt had that goal of being the first uh, pilot, really, not just female pilot, but the first pilot to travel at light speed. And Maya wanted to go interstellar or into a different solar system, which apparently was something that really was new at that point. Now, she's not in charge. She's not the captain of the Horizons, but she is selected as a crew member. What is her job on that ship? Yep, so she actually has the, yeah, you're right, she's not the captain. She's actually a junior officer, just uh, fresh out of the academy. 
and uh, she is an ensign, and she uh, occupies the position of operations liaison. So she plays the role. Um, she actually gets <clears throat> uh, somewhat fortunate that she ends up posted on the, the bridge, the command center of uh, Horizons, because um, the oh, that's the whole other thing, too. Actually, I should mention that her <clears throat> because of the C her aunt gives her, it actually bumps her down from valedictorian to salutatorian. So she actually then graduates second in her class. That bumps <clears throat> another guy up first. And so that... Um, because of that guy being bumped up first, he's actually part of this uh, little flight flight show demonstration during the, the launch ceremony for New Horizons. So he actually ends up in a in an accident, <clears throat> a flight accident, crashes and almost dies, and then that promotes her uh, up to the bridge. And so she takes on that role as operations liaison, and she coordinates things between you know engineering and the bridge and all the different. Um, all the different uh, areas of the ship. It's actually a very, um, it's kind of looked on <clears throat> as kind of like a, uh, it's a double-edged sword. It's an important position because she, uh, you know, has to coordinate so many things, but at the same time, um, people look at it, well, <clears throat> you know, the, the AIs, the computers can kind of do a lot of that coordination, so she's just kind of a glorified babysitter of uh, the ship's systems. But she takes it and she... She really owns it and, and catches some glitches and even notices, uh, you know, one or two things that maybe don't uh, seem quite right, which uh, tie into things later. She is an important member of the crew, no doubt. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. And actually, okay. when uh, and when the uh, when the ship launches into the unknown, and then some uh, some conflict happens, some, some sabotage happens where the ship is damaged and. And uh, she uh, ends up getting, <clears throat> finding herself much more important and more in charge than, than she would have uh, thought was ever going to happen, being oh, a, yeah. you know, a young ensign. Now, you write and speak with, uh, about the future. You write about these things with clarity and with also some technical expertise. What has changed scientifically between books one and this new book? Yeah, well, I think uh, the world has come... Um, the world of my book, I should say, the universe and the technology in it has come quite a long ways. Um, in, in book one, it's really it has it has the feel of you know advanced modern times where people are traveling um, on you know shuttle shuttle and, and spacecraft between worlds. Maybe it takes a few weeks to get to Mars or Jupiter um, in zero g. And now in, in book two, uh, because in book one they created faster than light travel, they start creating these uh, what I call phase portals in the solar system, which are um, basically wormhole gateway, you know, uh, uh, gateway uh, sorts of doorways, you know, where you can basically walk through a door now on, say, Earth and then be on the moon in a, in a split second or take another portal from the moon to you know, the space station in orbit of Venus or Mars or the moons of Jupiter and so on. Now, this this is somewhat your imagination, but it comes from being educated and from working in the field. We talked about your background some in your first appearance, but remind the folks again, what is your education and the career that you're involved with that gives you this knowledge base? Yeah, I am a, a bit of a, a jack of all trades. I have a engineering degree from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, uh, which kind of starts me out a little technical right there. And then 
and uh, I also have a master's degree in uh, space systems from Florida Tech. So that's where I really got a good uh, base of knowledge of the realities of, of real space flight and how that really affects the human body and <clears throat> how you know it takes how much effort it takes just to reach Earth orbit. As a matter of fact, there's uh, I forget the name of the of the person who made the quote, but one of my uh, favorite quotes is that you know once you're once you're in Earth orbit. Um, you're halfway to anywhere in the solar system, and it's really true. It really takes so much expertise and and <clears throat> uh, engineering uh, precision and all that those sorts of things, and fuel and energy to just just to get up into Earth orbit. So then you can go um, somewhere else. Well, that master's degree. Um, what, what did you study in space technology? Uh, space systems. Yeah, it's a, a comprehensive. I like it. Yeah, I like to actually kind of joke that it's a, you know, it's a space general studies <laughs> degree. Well, now, are you working in that field? What does what your job consist of today? No, so actually, I'm, a, I'm an IT uh, professional. So I work in uh, sort of the business uh, process improvement category. Okay. Um, or, and uh, so I work with a lot of, uh, with a great company called Naviance, and we work with a lot of other um, businesses to help sort of make their um, internal business processes more, more efficient, you know, implement software and, and uh, just uh, and take a process-first approach to make sure that not only are we putting uh, software in place, but we're, we're doing it that uh, in such a way that serves the business as opposed to the other way around, so it works uh, the best possible way for them. All right. Tell the folks right quick, Greg, where can they find out more about you and your books? Sure. Well, the easiest thing to do, just go to Amazon.com and search for my name, uh, Greg Spry, S-P-R-Y, and then my books come right up with my name. Uh, you can Google my name as well, Greg Spry. Um, and my uh, website's come up, you know, beyondcloud9.com, gregspry.com. Um, I'm pretty easy to find online. Excellent. Folks, we're here on the prologue this morning with Greg Spry. He's bringing us the second book in Beyond, uh, in the Beyond Saga, which is called beyond the horizon and we're going to be back with more from greg after these messages when four members of congress all die within four months each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes but when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long dead revolutionary heroes one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer his search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. 
Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back. We're here on the prologue this morning. My name's Doug Dahlgren. Appreciate you listening in. We're here with Greg Spry. He's brought us book two of the Beyond Saga. The title of this one is Beyond the Horizon. Before we get back to Greg, please let me do this. I want to take a second and recognize a couple of very special groups of listeners. First of all, there's our folks serving in the armed forces of this country all around this planet, working hard to keep us at home safe so we can go about our lives as we so very often take for granted. Now, folks, freedom is not free. It is bought and paid for daily by those men and women in uniform. So we thank them for what they do, and we also thank them for listening on the World Wide Web. I also want to mention the first responders who are here at home. That's those police and fire and EMT personnel and all the associates around them, 911 operators, what have you, all those folks that rush to our aid when we get our little behinds in trouble. So we thank them for being there and for all that they do, and we thank them for listening as well. Now, Greg has been talking to us this morning about primarily the differences between the first book in the Beyond Saga, which was Beyond Cloud Nine, and this latest one that we've got out here, Beyond the Horizon. Uh, there's going to be, I think you told me, four books in the series. Do you have a particular goal in mind for this series, and uh what is your goal as a writer? Yeah, um, my goal as a writer, I guess, is always to you know first, first and foremost, we always try to always try to entertain. You know, make sure it's a good, exciting uh, story. I, I get told a lot that I write action well, even though I never really set out <clears throat> to write action, but it, it ends up uh, <laughs> happening, and I think that's uh, largely a good thing. But one of my goals too is to. Um, just try to make uh, leave the reader with a little bit more. Try to treat some ethical or moral conundrums. I like to say, um, have uh, you know morally ambiguous agenda versus morally ambiguous agenda versus um, you know good versus evil. I think uh, the former is a little more um, dynamic, and uh, so you know you have your protagonists who have their flaws, who who are typical you know do-gooders who are trying to do the right thing, but maybe. Uh, don't always do the right thing, but they mean well. And then you have antagonists who maybe actually have um, some noble noble goals. They're actually trying to do something well, but maybe their maybe their uh, methods uh, leave a little much to be desired. You know, kind of an ends justify the means sort of sort of thing. And so, yeah, the goal of the <clears throat> series is to try to ramp up uh, with each book, kind of explore different themes and, and um, more, more difficult themes, and while also, of course, you know, entertaining and having an interesting story and characters, and uh, ultimately, yeah, just explore some, uh, some of the big, big questions as well, sort of, sort of treat them. It's always kind of a, a tough fine line. Uh, you walk in, in science fiction wanting to, you know, explore the, the mysteries of the universe, um, <clears throat> but at the same time, you know, uh, don't uh, if I actually really had the answers, maybe I'd be willing winning a Nobel Prize. But uh, of course, I'm just making things up. So 
so uh, you know, having a little little fun with it too. There you go. Now the series is scheduled to be four books. Now, was that your concept from the very beginning? Did you set out to write four books, or did the storyline of book one kind of lead you in that direction? Yeah, I've, I've always kind of had a an, an high overarching plan. I knew there would be four-ish books. I was thinking initially maybe, you know, three, four, five, but I think to really treat uh, do the different things I wanted to do with the series, uh, four made sense. You know, the book one is... It's kind of the, the the beginning where where things change for the human race. You know, at the start, um, things are much like a you know advanced form of modern times. Then at the end, they've got the faster than light drive, which opens everything up. You know, book two is the interstellar mission. Uh, book three, <clears throat> uh, time travel starts to come into a little bit uh, of play, and then in book four, things really expand, um, and you start getting into alternate universes and alternate timelines and uh, the ability uh, for mankind to travel just about anywhere in the galaxy and, and uh, really, really start facing some of those, those uh, just, just touching on some of those tough questions of, uh, you know, of existence. Now, you mentioned morals a while ago. I want to make sure that our listeners understand there's enough technology in here to really whet the appetite of the true techno geeks that are really interested in all this stuff. But... Uh, I'd say there's more to this. Uh, you do details of that nature even maybe better than Gene Roddenberry, and you also seem to incorporate the human condition into your stories, very much like he did, the morals, the politics, the, the betrayals, all that that kind of goes into a good story, and things that just, you know, inside us that never seem to change. Did Gene Roddenberry influence your writing in any way? Oh, absolutely! I was—I uh, grew up uh, as a big fan of the uh, uh, Star Trek Next Generation. So, to me, in my generation, that—that that was uh, Star Trek. To me, and the original series, while good, was just kind of the the old show that the the new the new one was was based on. And uh, I would say, uh, you know, Captain Picard uh, was kind of even—we uh, could go to far as far to say that he was a role model for me. That he was this very morally centered individual who, who was smart and tried to do the, the right thing, and but also got into some you know exciting adventures, and and I always thought that was uh, pretty great. And really, um, my books and that that sort of uh, difficult uh, exploring of difficult themes and concepts is uh, exactly um, what I try to do, which is the similar things as uh, as certain plots that that came up in, uh, in Star Trek. So, yes, absolutely, I'm heavily influenced by Roddenberry. What other writers or just individuals, perhaps, uh, inspired you to write these stories? Oh, too, too many to uh, count. I mean, Arthur C. Clarke is one of my uh, favorite authors. I think he, more, more so than anybody, just knew how to uh, write a story, uh, a very relatable story. He could take uh, those high technical concepts and make them easy to understand and and uh, also uh, somewhat deal with, with some of those uh, difficult difficult issues. Um, two other uh, newer um, sort of hard science or writers like Alistair uh, Reynolds or um, Peter Hamilton, who are both, uh, you know, U.K. science fiction authors. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of their books and uh, all sorts of things, TV shows, as a as a kid and 
and uh, yeah, I could go on and on. <laughs> you mentioned the word relatable. Uh, you talking about Arthur C. Clarke? That's the secret to doing anything successfully. Really, is no matter how much you know about a subject, you have to relate it to the person you're telling or having read what you've written to. Uh, TV shows that have relatable characters and books that have relatable characters, folks that the people can understand and put themselves in that place. And I think that's what you do so well with the characters you've got in the Beyond series. Uh, how did you get started writing? Oh, gee. It's, uh Let's see. Well, I think it was actually late elementary school or early um, middle school. <clears throat> Based on some of the shows I'd seen in video games, I thought at some point I came uh, to the decision that, you know, I think I, I want to create stuff myself. And so I wrote a, uh, it was a story called Crystallia, actually. It was took up about two, two five-subject notebooks, if you remember those. Um, and I just wrote this, uh, wrote this initial story in this uh in those books, and uh, yeah, I guess I got started there, and I, I wrote uh, another story in middle school, and and then actually I became up with the uh, with the concept for Beyond Cloud Nine in uh, what was it my senior year of high school uh, creative writing class. You know, I, some of my other peers were like, "Oh man, this we got this uh, assignment to write this page long, you know, write this page long story or whatnot," and some people were struggling, and me, I you know. I went way over that. I wrote the <laughs> prologue to and the first chapter of a book. There you go. Now, is there a particular philosophy that you're trying to express with these stories? I wouldn't say I have a, a, a one exact set philosophy or agenda. <clears throat> My goal is to sort of treat um, different themes, different uh, more difficult themes, and then kind of let the reader make their own uh make their own decisions. So, yeah, I wouldn't say I have uh, a set philosophy other than the fact that I'm just trying to do, uh, I guess, some more, um, you know, smart writing, leave the reader with a little bit more entertained, but also at the end have them say, huh, you know, I really wonder if uh, if that happened, you know, like the theme of the theme of book one that continues to book two is kind of would you rather be happy um you know, living a lie or miserable knowing the truth, and it's, a, it's an interesting, interesting question. You know, the choice of happiness versus truth, and if you if you can't have both, which one which one do you choose? And hmm. and uh, so that comes up in in the plots of my book where you have conspirators trying to really usher in this this great uh, you know great things for society, but uh, how much you know of their methods? You know, how much is how much is it justified? And if uh, you know, even if they do create this great society, is it worth it? Is it even that great or that much of a so-called utopia if, um, if it's based on such a negative foundation? That's an interesting point, though. Uh, people don't look at it that way on their own. You have to lead them to that. Uh, what you said about if somebody had to make the choice between happiness or, and uh, how did you put it, between happiness and truth, which would you choose? Yes, exactly. They usually mm-hmm. see what they they want for their happiness as the truth, and that may not be the case. Right? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting interesting question to consider, you know. And I don't think life's ever quite that black and white where you have to only choose happiness or truth. You know, you can have a bit of both, but sometimes there's a an eighty twenty rule, and 
thing if you have to go more one way or more the other, you know, which do you choose? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Listen, we're coming up on another break here shortly. Tell the folks again where they can find out more about Greg Spry and his books. Sure. So, again, easiest thing to do, go to Amazon.com and just search for my name, uh, Greg Spry, S-P-R-Y, or search for Beyond Cloud9 or Beyond the Beyond the Horizon on Amazon. You can also find uh, find me on Google. I'm pretty easy to find, Greg Spry, um, or um, my website's gregspry.com, beyondcloud9.com, uh, beyondsaga.com, or beyondthehorizonbook.com, and on Goodreads, too, I should mention. So just about everywhere on the Internet they can find out about you. Yep, I'm, I'm pretty visible. There you go. Folks, again, you're listening to the prologue on America's Web Radio. We're here with Greg Spry, and we're going to be back with more from Greg after these short messages. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we are back on the prologue. My name is Doug Dahlgren. Thank you for listening this morning. We're here with a returning author, Mr. Greg Spry. Greg brings us book two of his Beyond Saga. This one's called Beyond the Horizon, and the horizon being the name of an interstellar spacecraft. Uh, Greg, your books are the genre of science fiction and space travel. That's fairly obvious. But there's a military aspect that's in this advancement into the future. How did you research and handle the futuristic military stuff that you talk about in your stories? Yes, yes. Well, first I should say, of course, I haven't actually uh, been in the military myself, so I do need to do uh, a lot of good research to, to make sure I get things accurate and, and check with, uh, I do check with uh, some folks who have been in the military just to make sure that things um, <clears throat> seem realistic. I know one of my uh, space systems professors, when I did my graduate degree, he was uh, in the Navy, and it was actually pretty nice to have him um, 
he was a big big part of uh, editing and critiquing on book book one because not only had he been uh, in the Navy, but he had also worked on the International Space Station and on the Space Shuttle. So I had that um, unique perspective where I had a resource who had not only had military experience, but also experience with uh, the space stuff that I was writing. So that's one um, thing I did for research. Uh, the second thing is that I uh, do a lot of online research. You know, Wikipedia is big, but of course I always try to verify informa- information I find on Wikipedia with, uh, you know, the peer-reviewed uh, journals, so the actual res- uh, resources that uh, the Wikipedia articles use. And then, yeah, a lot of uh, online res- re- uh, research and checking with people. Okay. Now, the trip that the, uh, the New Horizons is taking is not just a jaunt out into the future. This, this ship is on a humanitarian mission. And the team on the horizon is rushing to help a civilization that you called the Penthens. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, correct. Penthens. And these are a species of exobeings. Now, I've got to have you explain that a little bit more. What are exobeings? And uh, tell us a little more about the Penthens. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, so an exobeing, first we should explain the prefix exo, E-X-O. Um, I think it's becoming more and more... Uh, common today to hear the term exo, like the term exoplanet, which is a planet outside of our our solar system. So now recently, you know, scientists are discovering more and more of those exoplanets out there. And so in order to add a little bit more of a authentic, you know, uh, feel to the story, instead of using like the term alien, I will actually use the term um, exobeing. And also it's the future too, so, you know, a couple hundred years in the future, people might might speak and talk a little differently. And uh, the term alien, <clears throat> I think in our culture, too, has almost become more woven into to fiction than anything else. So actually there's a, a scene, I think about a third of the way through uh, book one, where I actually kind of play with this. And I say, uh, one of the pilots, I think, of a fighter says, uh, oh, you're using the term alien? That sounds so fictional. You know, use the term exo-being. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, that's what it means, an exo-being is a being from outside of our solar system. And I try to use some of those uh, uh, more more uh, scientific and 23rd century terms, if you will. Now, uh, the Pensons are an interesting uh, group of exo-beings. They're, uh, <clears throat> they're a very uh, benevolent race, and as, as the name implies, Penson, uh, um, reader, or, uh, listeners might have already guessed, you know, they're kind of a cross between... Um, you know, their, their uh, physiology is a cross between uh, a penguin and a dolphin, and so they have characteristics of both. Uh, they live on a planet with maybe only like 20% of Earth's gravity, so the atmosphere is um, <clears throat> atmosphere is a little, little thicker. Their planet's almost a little like uh, Titan, but a little warmer, and so <clears throat> they can uh, they can fly. And they're very uh, the thing that's very unique about them is that their ecosystem is very different, where they don't have much much conflict. Their whole ecosystem is more symbiotic. So they're very uh, helpful and they don't really know much about uh, human conflict. I think at one point Maya says to them when she meets them, um, they don't even know the, the meaning of the word uh, fight. What, is, what does that mean to fight? So it's a, an interesting um, when we encounter them and it's almost uh, their race is 
is almost kind of like a mirror to ourselves. So here, here's just this race that doesn't fight, and there's there's no conflict. And how does that? That, you know, that makes us kind of think and reflect on ourselves a little bit. Now I can understand, uh, and, and this is I'm trying to speak for the audience here. I can understand the term pin fins and the dolphins, and I also can can understand that we really don't know yet how intelligent and what level of communication the dolphins really have. I mean, they could be a very advanced species right here on this planet. So I know you're going for that level here, but apparently these these beings are much more advanced than that. They're they're able to reach out to us somehow and ask for help. Is that right? Yep. Actually, one thing that that prompts uh, the New Horizons um, expedition, initially I'll start <clears throat> by just a little side note that the ship, um, my ship that I um, have in my book is actually named named after the, the, the actual real New Horizons probe that recently uh, arrived at Pluto. Um, so yeah, so New Horizons ends up, or travels out um, to the Penson's uh, homeworld and um, uh, can you repeat the question? Well, I was just curious. That they're advanced to the state that they're able to communicate with us. So our people knew what they were going to and the types of beings that they were going to meet. Yes, exactly. So actually one of the things that prompts the mission is that they send in, uh, a, a simple radio transmission back to Earth. And that's how we initially noticed them. Um, <clears throat> Is that we receive that uh, it's a simple AM radio transmission that makes it all its all its way back uh, to Earth, and everybody's uh, you know when it's received by SETI, and it becomes common knowledge. It it becomes a big big deal, and you know before long people are wearing T-shirts about the Pentons, and it becomes this big sort of cultural thing. Now now we want to <clears throat> reach the the first uh, planets of intelligent life, um, and so we we. Uh, the mission, the original New Horizons expedition, before uh, receiving that ex- uh, receiving that radio signal, was actually to they were going to be an emigration vessel. So New Horizons actually carries a city uh, within it, like a whole internal biosphere uh, biosphere of thousands of people. So now the mission changes. Well, obviously we have to go now and sh- <clears throat> and visit this, uh, this this new race of uh, of beings. So then we're going to take our our whole emigration vessel there. So actually some things, some interesting things happen when the ship arrives and because we have a whole city <clears throat> of humans and, and when the ship uh, ends up under some turmoil and ends up being damaged, um, then, the, then all these people in the, in the city and civilians have to, have to deal with that um, in addition to the, you know, to the actual crew of the ship. All right. Well, very good. Now, again, explain a little bit more about the differences between Books 1, which was Beyond Cloud 9, and this novel, Beyond the Horizon. Uh, there's, there's differences in the storyline and everything else. What basically, for those who've read Beyond Cloud Nine, why would they want to continue with this is, I guess, what I'm asking. Sure. Well, it's, the, it's kind of the, the natural uh, extension. Book one, it's, it's limited to the, to the solar system, and it's about uh, you know, man, uh, kind of a transition, mankind going and uh, developing faster than light technology. And book one ends where we're just on the brink. Now we have this technology, and book two is like, okay, what are we going to do with it? So now we're finally, book two is about venturing out of the solar system and uh, new, uh, uh, you know, the new discoveries that, that come with that. So pushing, pushing out, and, uh, and it really extends, uh, the theme is extended too, where in book one, that whole <clears throat> uh, theme of 
you know, would you rather be happier or know the truth? And book one, that really extends from just just human beings, where we deal with that on our own, uh, although in light of a, an alien invasion. And then in book two, we're, we're, we're dealing with... Uh, dealing with how that extends to another alien race, especially if our, if the very uh, presence of the mission, of our first interstellar mission, now we go there, suddenly we start threatening, threatening them, and if the, if the, um, if the conundrum that arises is, well, do we have to sacrifice them to save ourselves, you know, which, which do you choose? So it's, it's, book two is the natural extension, it kind of raises, raises all the stakes of it from book one. How has the political climate on Earth changed from book one? Uh, you know, the Star Trek folks had this utopian system where everybody got along and everybody was fine and it was just kind of a, a one-world government. Um, is that where we've come to in your world, or where are we? Yep, that's an excellent question, and you've pretty much got it on, uh, right on the head that um, I have a similar world in my book, but one of one of the points, one of the things I've always wanted to, uh, to treat, and, and what I try to do in my Beyond Saga, is that we have that sort of same <clears throat> sort of utopian world, at least on the surface, in the Beyond Saga. But uh, underneath, um, there's more uh, manipulation and more sort of like in order to create that society and hold it together, um, where mankind is all banded together. It's taking some really, you know, questionable ethical actions sort of underneath the surface to, to hold it together. And so book two is about, you know, at the end of book one, mankind bands together, and book two is about trying to, to hold it together, and uh, is that going to fall apart, and uh, is, it, is it right, you know, is it worth it to hold it together, or um, would, it, would we maybe be better off if, uh, if it disbanded and we had a different structure or if... Uh, if the different, you know, sort of groups of humanity again went their own way, um, so there's definitely that that sort of question in the book. Very good. So you tackle the point that utopia on its own may not be perfect. There, there, it may need help here and there. Um, we've talked about the characters Maya and Brooke. Brooke being the protagonist from book one, and Maya is, of course, the lead character in in uh, Beyond the Horizon. How about Bob? Those who've read book one need to know, is Bob still around? Oh, yes. It's an uh, excellent question. So Bob is, uh, from book one, he's the AI. He is, uh, starts out just as a computer program in a fighter craft that, you know, helps her, helps her maneuver and, and uh, does, takes care of all the uh, automated stuff on her plane. And he eventually gains, you know, kind of sentience, becomes self-aware, and helps her, helps her three things by the end of book one. <laughs> And then book uh, book two, he's kind of gone off the grid, but uh, he does appear um, a little bit later, and uh, to help out uh, help out with some things and help save the day again. But he's also, in addition to that, um, because he's in in AI and maybe doesn't think exactly like the human. And this is where we get into kind of our our flawed characters and flawed protagonists. He does something <clears throat> for the right reasons but he does something that may not be the best move that actually might hurt a lot of people, even though his intentions uh, were good. And so uh, the, the crew of Horizons kind of has to deal deal with that um, as well. I've been there and done that. Folks, we are listening to 
Mr. Greg Spry. He's telling us about his book two of the Beyond Saga, Beyond the Horizon. And we're going to be back with more from Greg right after these messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back, folks. We are here this morning with Greg Spry. My name's Doug Dahlgren, and you're listening to the Prologue on America's Web Radio. We've been talking about Greg's series, The Beyond Saga, and particularly second book in the series, Beyond the Horizon. We were talking about the characters and how they changed uh, from book one to book two, and uh, Greg was telling us about his artificial intelligence being, who was so popular from book one, a little fellow named Bob, and uh, that Bob was still involved, that he, of course, had changed, and the fans of the series are going to want to read the whole series, I'm sure, but particularly book two, to see how Bob is advancing. Uh, Greg, inspiration for all of your characters. Uh, I know they're in the future, but do any of these people actually represent folks that you've known or folks that uh, people that you're aware of now? Um, I would say I don't draw from real people so much. I mean, I, I'm sure I do on a on some level, um, but I think I draw a lot from from characters uh, in other uh, science fiction shows and uh, books and, and movies and, and uh, video games and those sorts of things. You know what the biggest lie, I had another author tell me this a few weeks ago, the biggest lie that all writers use is on the legals page of their books, any resemblance to persons living or dead, locals or events is purely coincidental. 
All right. <laughs> we, we all use people that we have known, and, uh, of course, that's just what we have to do. But your characters are lifelike. Uh, that's what makes a book like this. It's a scientific world. It's a world that we're not familiar with, and yet you have real people in there. And we talked about the reader being able to relate to these folks. That is the key to a successful series is where the people can say, well, now I can see myself in that position, or I understand that character. And actually expectations. Situations are created, and you expect a particular character to react a particular way. And if that's not what's happening, then you can lose interest in the whole thing. Uh, your ideas for our solar system and the other solar systems, ideas for weapons and how they work, ideas for interstellar travel, all of that kind of stuff, uh, is that a mix of your base knowledge and your education, or is it strictly your imagination? Yeah, it's, it's a mix of a number of things. Uh, again, it all walks of life from... From knowing uh, kind of uh, what's out there <clears throat> and what's what's coming in in uh, real life, like I I use a, a bunch of things. I think I use the term fabrication. A lot of uh, advanced uh, 3D printing. Uh, it's kind of funny actually. In the in Beyond the Horizon, there's uh, a little uh, fabricator bot. You know, he he manufactures tools for the for the crew aboard the the ship. <clears throat> and uh, so yeah, he also uh, he's uh, got a little bit more of an advanced AI. So the the uh, the bot has a little bit of a it's a bit of a smart aleck and he, he makes comments when he makes the makes the uh, <laughs> makes the tools so that can be kind of funny. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, there's also in the book there's uh, what I call eyesight, which is I dash C I T E, but that's kind of a, a play on words too with the, the regular word eyesight interface for corneal information transfer and extrapolation. Now is this a real is thing? That, uh, Oh, this, uh, no. I, you came up with that. Okay. Not that I know of. I mean, this is <laughs> a, a far future thing, right? Right. Yep. If you think of your, uh, think of your smartphone, uh, all the icons you have in the interface, you can swipe through things and just think if you had that right in your vision, uh, um, <clears throat> and you could do that with, with a little shift of guys. You could swipe through and look at icons and all that. That interface is right in your vision. Um, that would be very, very cool. And if you could receive, you know, uh, communications and phone calls right into your brain and somebody might not even know if you happen to be talking. Oh, wow. To someone far away. Uh, so that's, that's pretty interesting, one of the technologies I use. Uh, back to your question about if that's real or not, <clears throat> um, I started with book one using a, a piece of technology called NetSpecs, which is basically uh, the advanced version of the, the Google Glass or the, the wearable um, glasses you can you could wear where you can actually have augmented reality and look at things uh, and have those interfaces appear on a set of glasses. And I have those in, in book one. And then in book two, you take that a step further where it's, you know, it's, it's right embedded into your, into your vision and into your brain. I tell you, I've got so much going on in my head right now, I don't think I'm ready for all that. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't need it. I want to ask you, too. The settings that you described so vividly, uh, the different planets and the different solar systems, now these are places that you can't really visit yet anyway. How do you envision those? How do you come up with those places? Right, well, some of them, um, like in uh, book one, these are some real places, like, for instance, the, the surface of Titan. You know, NASA sent probes, finally got some probes beneath uh, the thick cloud cover of that moon of, uh, <clears throat> moon of Saturn. 
so I do a lot of research, of course, and, and I just find stuff like that fascinating, so it's not, it's not uncommon for me to just uh, lose myself reading about that sort of thing for hours, because I naturally find it interesting, <clears throat> and then I try to write and sort of, you know, um, embellish and sort of bring it to life and make it sound super interesting in the story. Now, but there are some other, um, <clears throat> other um, settings, like in book two, um, that maybe aren't as well-known or could exist but don't exist. Uh, one setting is a planet I call uh, Psyche, which is actually a planetar. It's a rogue planet that sits about a light year outside of the solar system, and it's not. <clears throat> it's a planet that's not actually attached to any solar system, and those really do exist. Scientists have, have found those where they're maybe thrown out, thrown out of their orbit, and they're actually kind of tossed outside of, uh, of a solar system, and they sit between solar systems. And so there's uh, the setting, essentially, of a planet um, that's, um, that's not attached to any solar system, but it's just sitting outside. And so uh, Brooks travels there, and it's got a little bit of uh, high gravity, and of course it's very, very dark because it's not near any star, but it's very, um, there's still a lot of heat, a lot of geologic activity because the planet's uh, so active. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a contrast in a very different sort of environment. Now, we've been talking this morning about all different facets and, and different ways of looking at, at this work, this, this novel. Uh, I'm sure you've got an elevator pitch, as we call it in the business, uh, a, a little short synopsis of why people should be interested in this book. Why don't you give us that right now and just pull it all together? Sure, sure. So the, uh, <clears throat> sort of the catchphrase, as I call it, is uh, extinction or genocide, us or them which calls out the fact that, again, this, uh, this, this benevolent race that we're traveling to go see, and suddenly we get there, and then if we end up in a situation where we maybe have to sacrifice them for ourselves, which do you choose? So that calls into the kind of the plot and the moral conundrum. And then the, uh, what I call the log line, or just the, the very quick, quick uh, phrase summary, is it's about uh, the story about a young officer who must... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, thwart, uh, thwart a conspiracy to exterminate that bene- uh, benevolent alien race uh, during mankind's first interstellar mission. What is your marketing strategy for this book? How are you getting the word out other than, of course, appearing on shows like this one? Sure, sure. So that is that is the million-dollar question. And like like you said before, if I had um, if I had great answers, <laughs> if I were doing that perfectly, then I would be really well off. But uh, no, no, so promotion's kind of a, a struggle, but so far I do all sorts of things. Social media, um, you know, I've got the book obviously out there on, on Amazon, uh, promoting it, you know, radio shows like this. Um, I have uh, hired several uh, promotional services to sort of get the work out there. I've done a press release. Um, there's an endless, endless array of things uh, that you can do, but it's definitely kind of uh, hard to get noticed, I guess you say, and one of the big things I'm noticing, the, the old adage in any any business, because uh, writing is a business, uh, but that it definitely you know takes money to make money, and there's a certain upfront investment required to to uh, getting you know getting myself out there and getting exposure. Because one of the big things that's important to realize on the internet is just because just because I have a, a, an Am- you know my book out there on Amazon or my stuff, my websites are out there and easily found on Google, well, people have to know to want to search for those things. So just because those things are out there doesn't mean anyone's going to actually look for them unless I am, you know, drawing attention to them. So it does take 
a lot of tireless effort uh, just to just to get the word out. Readers' reviews are very important, are they not? Uh, your books are doing well with that, by the way. But uh, how important do you see reviews as a writer yourself? Oh, reviews are incredibly important. Some, some of the most important things, actually, uh, for a book, because uh, reviews, first of all, they just show show people that uh, um, what other readers think, which I think is very valuable information. And what I, I myself, I base, I go right to the reviews, and I not only read um, the five star reviews of people who love it, but I, I pay particular attention to the, maybe the sort of uh, constructive uh, criticism, the, the lower reviews, to think what others, uh, what readers find out uh, could be improved or why they didn't like it. Uh, so reviews are very important for making decisions. They're also important. I know Amazon and, and uh, you know, works reviews into some of their algorithms to how popular the book and, and its visibility on the site. So they're very uh, important, and I very much appreciate it. And any one review is like solid gold to an author. And so I encourage readers uh, to leave reviews, and I really appreciate, really, really appreciate when they do. As do we all. Thank you for that. When can we expect the next uh, installment of the Beyond Saga? Sure. Well, I'm working on Beyond Yesterday. Almost got it ready for the editor. Should go to the editor sometime in November here. And uh, that actually is where Beyond Yesterday gets into, uh, continues again, book two, uh, gets into um, exploring and kind of a little bit of time travel now based on the end of book two. And hopefully I'm thinking probably second quarter of 2017. So I'm almost thinking the the release date's going to be somewhere right around um, just one year later from when I released uh, book two, but it's not set in stone yet. Outstanding. Well, listen, Greg, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you here again. The hour goes by awfully quick. I want to thank you for bringing us Beyond the Horizon. Yes, well, thank you very much, Doug. I, uh, always enjoy being on the program. I appreciate it. Thanks again. Now, listeners, the ball is in your court, okay? I want you to go and look up Greg Spry, S-P-R-Y, on Amazon or his website and start enjoying these great science fiction novels. You will enjoy the stories. They're great. And I also want you to tell your friends about our show and how they can listen to the free podcasts by simply clicking on the links they can find on americaswebradio.com. If you are a guest or you would like to be a guest on the prologue, follow the email listings, Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or Doug at DougDahlgren.com. Give me a short message. Tell me who you are, what you want to talk about, and we'll see about getting you on a future show. That's it for this hour. I want to thank especially to my guest here this morning, Mr. Greg Spry. And so my, for myself, Doug Dahlgren, and for Greg, I want to say be good to yourselves and each other. Read a book. If it's not one of Greg's, maybe you'll choose one of mine. And I'll see you all again in just 167 hours. Take care now. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.